Welcome to the Darlington Extra podcast channel, working with communities, staff and partners to provide positive outcomes. Welcome to Darlington Extra podcast channel. My name's Brooke Hodgkiss and I'm the Academy Coordinator for Darlington Borough Council. Welcome to episode four of the Trauma Informed series, Trauma in Children and Young People in Education. Let's start with some introductions. Sophie? Hi Brooke, um, I'm Sophie Newton and I'm an education officer at Darlington Virtual School. So we just kind of oversee the education of all children who are looked after in the care of Darlington Local Authority. Lovely. Anne? Um, hi, I'm Anne Davison. I'm the Send and Inclusion Advisory Lead for Darlington Local Authority. Um, my job is basically to work with schools to look at their practice around children with additional needs. Lovely. And Donna. Hi, uh, my name's Donna riley Raw, and I'm a step-up social work student with Children's Assessment and Safeguarding. I have a Bachelor's in Psychology and a Master's in Trauma-Informed Education. Fabulous. So we spoke about trauma in childhood in the last episode, but a big part of being a child is education and being at school. So how does trauma impact on education? Anne, could you tell us a little bit about that? I think for me, there's two things to consider when you're thinking about about trauma in schools. And the first one's about the organisation and the second one is about the individual. So in terms of the organisation, schools are busy places. They're quite often very large places. They've got a job to do, which is to teach children the curriculum. And we're in a particular moment with schools because we've got these massively increased expectations about what they'll do in terms of catering for the needs of children with you know, sometimes quite complex mental health needs. Um, there's a cost of living crisis that's impacting schools. They've got tight budgets. That means less staff. Um, and, and they're seeing an increase in need, definitely, you know, kind of post-COVID. So you're looking at these sort of huge organisations which have a lot of things to do. And when you put in the middle of that a, a child who struggles to regulate for all sorts of different reasons, it means that actually schools are limited or they perceive themselves as being limited in terms of what adaptations they can make for that child. And if we think about us as adults and how we regulate, you know, the things that we do when we feel stressed or we're anxious or we're tired or, you know, we're a bit out of our comfort zone, you might go for a walk, you might get your phone out, play Candy Crush for 10 minutes, um, you might just step away from your computer, go and have a, you know, go and have a break, make a cup of tea, you might phone your friends and have a bit of a moan, you know, you might take a day off. And none of those things are available to children that are struggling to regulate. So you immediately have this big organisation which is very controlled and actually the agency of individual children is limited. But within that, we're kind of expecting children who've experienced really different types of trauma to tell us when they need help. We're really reliant on children and young people to say, I'm finding this difficult. And of course, what we know is that children who've suffered different types of trauma um, experience that in different ways. And, you know, we as adults are not always very good at asking for help, but we're expecting that young people will be able to do it. And, and if they don't do it, somehow it's because, you know, it's them that have caused 
caused a little bit of trouble. And, and in terms of the different ta- types of trauma, they present very differently. So you could have a child who's been subject to abuse or violence in the home. They might have undergone medical trauma. There might have been a significant life event, like a, a car crash or, you know, some kind of unexpected experience. There might have been a bereavement. And as a consequence in schools, what you see is anxious behaviours, depressed behaviours, disengagement from learning. You might see anger and outbursts. You might see total shutdowns, refusal to attend. And each one of those behaviours needs a slightly different approach. So to make the assumption that any child can ask for help at any moment during the school day and then assume that there's a trauma-informed practitioner available to meet that need that they're identifying is a kind of whole series of things that have to be in place in order for that one magic moment where the child has their needs met to occur. And of course, to go back to what I was saying about schools as huge, big organisations, the challenge is, you know, for them making sure that that series of things are in place so that moment can can occur. And with everything that's going around, I think um, children and young people are increasingly find that that might not be the case sometimes in schools. Wow, there's some excellent points there. It, it, it just shows how massive it is, doesn't it? Donna, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, so basically just looking at traumatic experiences, they have been shown in research to impact learning behaviour and relationships within school. Recent neurobiological, epigenetics and psychological studies have shown that traumatic experiences in childhood can diminish concentration, memory and the organisational and language abilities children need to succeed within school. Brilliant. Thanks, Donna. So is this just in primary school or secondary school? Will the child grow out of it? Um, Donna? Yeah, so exposure to trauma in early childhood leads to structural and functional brain changes. Structural changes alter the volume or the size of specific brain regions. So proven structural changes include enlargement of the amygdala, the large centre of the brain and the shrinkage of the hippocampus, a brain area critical to remembering the story of what happened during a traumatic experience. So according to neuroscientific researchers, trauma can impact a child's academic health in a myriad of ways. These include hindering development of the brain areas associated with language and communication, jeopardising of sense of self and compromised ability to pay attention within class. So trauma affects brain development connections, which need new pathways, which happen through corrective and positive experiences. These effects can be lifelong without any positive counter experiences. With recent research suggesting that our brains constantly organise our behavioural responses by predicting what is going to happen based on events from the past. So when surviving danger becomes the key organisational principle from an early age, this can create complex social and emotional responses. Just because specific memories of early childhood trauma may not be there or be visible, the impact can still be felt throughout a person's life through feeling unsafe, not having their needs met and displaying behaviours. This can continue throughout a child's educational life in adulthood, having long-term lasting effects on every stage of education, if not fully addressed. Excellent. Thanks, Donna. Um, Anna, is there anything you'd like to add to that? It's just that I, I think that there's some some interesting questions to ask, you know, any adult that you come across about whether or not they're over what happened to them in their childhood. I don't think that, you know, it's particular to, to children and young people with complex trauma. I think it's about being human in terms of, you know, I never got over the fact I never got that cabbage patch kid. 
I've talked to my mother. She didn't. She didn't bother going to every single shop she could. She could find within a twenty mile radius. She never got me. I've never got over it. You know, the, we have these kind of experiences in childhood, and they stay with us forever. And the the extreme of that is, you know, not forming um, focused relationships, not feeling loved, not feeling attached, not feeling wanted, not feeling safe. And then, of course, we have to imagine that children and young people carry that all the way through their lives. And, you know, if they're lucky, when they get into adulthood, you know, hopefully we become thinking and feeling and reflective adults. And you can start to think to yourself, oh, hang on a minute. You know, the reason that actually I I don't trust people is because this happened to me. And then you can kind of try and work through that trauma. You know, the, the worst case scenario is that actually you never make those connections and you continue to repeat those patterns. But in in terms of primary and secondary, there's different presentations in primary to um, to presentations in secondary. As puberty hits and as hormones hit, um, you know, quite often you see a slightly different presentation in secondary schools than you do in primary schools. And of course, it depends when the trauma occurred, what point in the child's life and what type of trauma it was. But uh, but yeah, the question, will they grow out of it? Uh, you know, I don't think they ever do. I don't think we ever do. Um, You know, if we're lucky, we start making those connections and and trying to make things better the next time around. But, you know, fingers crossed that, that, that we all get the opportunity to do that. Brilliant. Thanks, Anne. Is there anything you'd like to add, Sophie? Just to say that, obviously, those brain connections and those kind of negative experiences that do impact on that development, the brain isn't something that's set it isn't something that's done our brains constantly changing and developing um you know into our late 20s it's still developing and growing those reasoning and thinking skills um, and more research is being done all the time so i would kind of urge anyone who's listening to this who has experienced trauma not to think you know this has happened and that that's it actually we can all have those corrective nurturing positive new experiences that can change the way our brain responds to things um so for example, when you think about things like PTSD, quite a complex form of trauma. Um, maybe someone's experienced um, kind of an, a military situation, bangs, they jump. Actually, with long-term work and exposure work in a really gentle way and therapeutic interventions, that can be altered and that can be overcome. So, yeah, I don't want anyone to listen and think that that that's it because of trauma. Actually, there's lots of positive work that goes into that rewiring and that growth of the brain. What can school and education settings do to support children and young people? Sophie. So first of all, um, with schools that we work with, we kind of look at what is the education environment looking like and not what that education environment's looking like just for the adults that experience it, but actually what does it look like through a young person or a child's eyes? Is that space emotionally safe? Is it socially safe? does that child have that psychological safety when they go into that school environment? And that's really important because without that feeling of safety, a child with trauma really struggles then that learning can't take place those positive interactions can't take place actually if you go into somewhere and you feel scared unsafe you're constantly hyper vigilant looking around that's that's not going to be a positive experience and we can't then do all of those amazing interventions and all of that kind of positive work that we want to do and um, but there is a lot that that schools do and do really well as well so a key thing is relationships in terms of that positive 
all of those positive experiences that can only happen when that young person's built a relationship. Sometimes we see it as an external person or someone coming in, but actually those great nurturing kind of interactions often happen with people like teaching assistants, um, dinner time staff, reception staff, uh, classroom teachers, pastoral teams, and building those relationships, not just over one-off sessions in a week, but actually that person being there with that young person through that whole journey of school, um, day in, day out, through the ups, through the downs as well, and seeing that and not rejecting that young person, still building that relationship, not associating those experiences with anything negative or shame, knowing that even on the bad days, that person's going to be there. Um, also, we find that educators having knowledge and awareness around adverse childhood experiences that we spoke about in the last episode, trauma and attachment, all of those things really help. If a child's highly dysregulated, as an educator, as a teacher, that can be really difficult. Um, it, it can be confusing, it can be upsetting, but actually if there's that knowledge around why and what's underpinning that behaviour, that behaviour really is just the tip of the iceberg. But when we get curious and we see what's underneath, then there's all of those kind of things around that trauma attachment and ACEs that really helps us understand the behaviour I think. Also things like PACE, so the PACE approach is kind of that playful acceptance, curiosity, the empathy and if anyone kind of is interested in that there's a lot of resources out there around using the PACE approach just in kind of everyday interactions with young people and there's a kind of saying that every interaction is an intervention so every time um, an adult or another young person interacts with a child actually that's an opportunity it's an opportunity to ask how's your day been oh I really love the way that you came into school this morning and you had that lovely smile oh fab I love those hair bubbles did you do that hairstyle yourself this morning all of those lovely things you have an opportunity to make that positive difference and to to create those real positive connections in the brain as well also things like restorative practice we know children with trauma sometimes have large outbursts and sometimes really struggle to then do that repair work but that repair work's massively important um, and I don't mean kind of coming back in and right it's a sorry actually about right what happened there that was tricky wasn't it I could see how you were feeling I could see that that was really difficult next time if that happens what else could we do what strategies could we use it's about not having that shame around the event um, actually an event's happened we know it's happened but let's deal with it together and let's all overcome it and repair and and restore that relationship um, so yeah it's all of that good work and, and schools are doing that a lot and, and there's a lot of resources out there to support that too uh, you know, you're totally right about the the relationships. You know, when you were talking there, it made me uh, think about when I was at school and I, there's still certain teachers I can remember. And back when I was at school, it was dinner nannies <laughs> at, at lunchtime break. And there's still some in particular. I remember their faces. You know, it's it's so important to have those familiar and friendly faces. Donna, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, so I feel that school and education staff can feel increasingly overwhelmed by how best to respond to challenges from pupils who have experienced trauma or loss, which often comes as a result of adverse childhood experiences. Um, having worked with some teachers and speaking to some teachers myself, um, I've asked some questions of some local school teachers of how they feel schools can adopt a more trauma-informed approach. And the consensus that I've really got from them is that they don't necessarily think that every teacher or every member of the team in a school has a trauma-informed approach at the forefront. However, they think that it's something that is starting to be developed and some teachers do have an awareness of it, but it's something that they feel that can be improved on. 
they'll say they've received um, training on ACEs and the impact on children, but they haven't had any further of the training or CPD done. So that's as far as their knowledge, their knowledge base can go on that. And it's not something that's necessarily stuck at the forefront because obviously we understand schools have um, a lot of different components and budgeting um, issues going on in the current climate. So there's so much, so many things in education that come along as deemed as more important, but it is a quite an important issue and it's something that teachers are aware of, but uh, it needs to be more aware of because they do understand how negatively it can impact on pupils. So when I've also asked a teacher what they think educational settings can do within school to support children, they found they said they found it difficult because you, when you've got to think you're in a classroom of 29, 30, 32 pupils, you've got to teach all of those pupils. You can't just focus on one. And it's hard because every teacher wants to have a positive influence on those pupils. And from a secondary school setting, some teachers may only see these these pupils for like one hour or two hours every fortnight. So how much of a positive inf- impact can they have on them in that little time scale? When I've asked teachers if there's anything else they think professionals could do to improve this, um, to, to improve it within schools, they think that professionals, not only education, but social care and health care could all work work more closely in terms of information sharing. From an educational viewpoint, from the teachers I've spoken to, they feel that the information they're receiving is a bit too vague. They'll get told that a child has ACEs or they'll get told that a child has problems at home. But that's all the information they're getting so they don't know how to deal with that accordingly and there's also some children they like to call like the invisible child that might slip through their slip slip through their radar it might not be affecting them emotionally but it could be affecting them academically um so if you think those of those pupils are the ones that are quiet that are withdrawn that have got the heads down that aren't causing um the troublesome behaviors or um drawing attention to themselves they're not storming out of lessons they're just not coping academically but they're not causing disruptive behaviors they're just sat almost quietly suffering in silence like they've just been left to get on with it so it's that understanding and that information sharing between schools and other agencies that could be improved to help help this trauma-informed approach, I believe. Lovely. Thanks, Donna. So what else can be done to support children and young people to succeed in education? Sophie? Um, so sometimes I think when we think about supporting young people with trauma, we sometimes think about external things and external agencies. So things like therapeutic interventions or packages that we can buy in, um, things like CAMS or other kind of support agencies but I think the important thing to highlight is that it's not always something or someone that exists that's external and um, sometimes it's about that relationships and those that good practice and all of that trauma-informed stuff that we talked about sometimes it's about having that over time and consistently um, and understanding that you know with trauma it's not always a straight straight path sometimes it's a bit of a bumpy road there's times where strategies work and the same strategies then don't work the next week and it can be difficult um, but actually sometimes it's just about someone who has that time has that relationship with the young person to just do those interventions and those strategies over time um, and something else that I think is also really important is about that supportive staff environment so the kind of the phrase a dysregulated adult can't regulate a dysregulated child so if you've got a staff team that's under a lot of pressure um, where the culture is quite difficult all of those things actually need to be addressed before staff can support children with trauma staff need to feel that 
that well-being is good, that they're looked after, that self-care is there, an opportunity to have that. And we know that's that's incredibly difficult in the current climate. Um, both Anne and I work closely with schools week in, week out, and we know the pressures that schools are under. But actually, um, that staff team need to be looked after before anything else can happen. And that's really integral to any trauma-informed approach because as well, we know working with children who have experienced trauma can be difficult. It can be emotional. It can be a bit of a roller coaster, and sometimes you're on that journey too. So yeah, that's what I would say to schools. Having that real culture around staff well-being is a huge plus. Brilliant. Thanks, Sophie. Anne, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Just um, you know, when when you start working in a school or when you decide to become a teacher or a TA, one of the main reasons is because you really like children. And and I think the further down you you get into your career, it, you know, sometimes you can kind of forget what it is that connects you to children and young people. And I think really understanding what it is that's important to, to children and young people can help to develop all that stuff that, that Sophie's talking about. You know, every experience is a every interaction is an opportunity to make a difference and and all of that kind Kind of stuff so I saw a really lovely um maths lesson for key stage two children which was based around Pokemon and it was about sorting and shapes and and they'd done the activity with Pokemon you know different colors different uh, who's got eyes who's got hair who's got more than one leg who's got a tail so they'd started it off and every single child was just right in there because they were absolutely loving it and, and then we're teaching the teacher like these are all the names and that one that was an ultra rare blah 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 and kind of, and it just fostered this real excitement around this maths lesson and it was all because the teacher was had kind of been like this is the thing the kids are all talking about so I'll make sure that actually um, I'm going to make it important to them and um, I, I think the other thing about children and young people who've suffered trauma in terms of schools is not making their experience something which is separate not making their experience something which is other which is alien to all the rest of us because actually as we've talked about you know we experience fear as adults we are anxious about things we're stressed about things you know we we have particular sets of experiences and we react to those and that's all that's happening in a child or young person it's just that the experience is more upsetting more acute than potentially you know it is in 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 our lives but it's not something which is out of our sphere of understanding um and then you know just as Sophie said I think the thing that sits at the center of it is empathy and understanding through inclusion you know are um, children who've suffered trauma able to go on school trips are they able to go outside and kick a football about with the rest of their class you know or, or actually are those experiences which are formative for children they're the bits of school that they like let's be honest um you know are, are those things accessible as well as the sort of learning and what's going on in the classroom my other thing that was that kind of thing about like catering for dinner parties you know like when you cater for a dinner party and you cook roast pork and yeah. then you find out that someone's gluten-free and vegetarian you've done all this work and you've you know you've kind of done all of this stuff to prepare to make it a lovely meal for everyone and then you find out that this one person actually can't engage with that so what it becomes for you is like you've got to go back to the shop you've got to start all over again you've got to find a different recipe and then you've got to cook that while you're cooking the thing at the first time but if you don't do that then that person's not going to eat so it's that, it's that kind of thing all the time, isn't it? When you've got a class of 30, you have things yeah. that you need to do. But actually, if you don't do those things for that one child, then they don't eat. Donna, is there anything you'd like to add to that part? Yeah, there's been a lot of good things pointed out there. I just thought I'd mentioned that although trauma can have a lasting impact on education, significant strides have been made like over the past like 
decade to help trauma survivors overcome their academic challenges. And this is to get the best possible education for them. Um, many trauma survivors have managed to overcome obstacles um, to education by dealing with their past trauma accordingly. Um, there's such methods such as the social and emotional learning. It's an approach to education that supports students in acquiring and applying the skills, knowledge and outlook necessary to regulate their emotions in school. It helps them to create, set and strive towards positive goals, relate to others with empathy, create and maintain positive relationships and make informed responsible decisions it can help trauma impacted children and adults achieve an education while also developing their social and emotional competence and independence brilliant thanks donna so to conclude today's episode the following key points have been discussed how does trauma impact education so unresolved trauma can diminish concentration memory and the organizational language abilities children need to succeed in school in turn affecting education outcomes How long does it last? So experience and trauma in childhood can result in severe and long lasting effect. Uh, When childhood trauma isn't resolved, a sense of fear and helplessness carries over into adulthood, setting the stage for further trauma. However, even if your trauma happened many years ago, there are steps you can take to overcome the pain, learn to trust and connect to others again and regain your sense of emotional balance. So what can school and education settings do to support children and young people? So trauma-informed education includes examining the influence and impact on students in our schools and factors such as racism, for instance, as well as poverty, peer victimisation, school violence or community violence and bullying. Schools and educators need to be mindful of these external factors and make informed relational decisions based on the child's individual circumstances. What else can be done to support children and young people to succeed? Uh, So if children have experienced traumatic events, they need extra help, either through school, pastoral care, counselling support, um, through referral to the school nurse or through referral to community-based support. Encourage children of all ages to express emotions through conversations, writing, artwork, and to find a way to help others who are affected by the event. Really, what we've taken from that is that a trauma-informed school or educational setting benefits everybody, you know, not just the children, but the adults in there as well, the teachers, and it just creates a really nice environment for everybody. Thanks so much for your contributions today. More discussions, podcasts and information can be found on Darlington Extra. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. You've been listening to the Darlington Extra podcast on our Darlington Extra podcast channel. For more great content, make sure you subscribe now.